The following message is from Ridgewood Church in Greer, South Carolina. For more information, visit RidgewoodGreer.com. Now this, as Bradley said, this is a big deal for us. Uh, We put a timeline in the bulletin this morning just so we could be reminded as to how far the Lord has brought us. On April 22nd, 2014, we covenanted together as the church at Greer Station at Greer Community Ministries in a banana yellow floral wallpapered dining room. We met there for three months before going September 7th, 2014 to publicly opening our doors at Grace Hall in downtown Greer, where we had to store all of our sound equipment and all of our hospitality supplies up a very treacherous staircase in a very dark, dank, scary second floor at Grace Hall. And we had to take it down and put it back every Sunday. On August 2nd, 2015, we moved to the Spinning Jenny. Tetanus shots were required before entering the Spinning Jenny. <laughs> On July 29th, the bulletin says 22nd, it's actually July 29th, 2018, we moved to Chandler Creek Elementary in the cafeteria. About a year later, we moved to the auditorium at Chandler Creek before going to Resurrection Church on Sunday nights on January 5th, 2020. Uh, if you were with us, then you remember that COVID forced us onto the internet for a season. That was the case for almost all of us, for many of us. But on May 31st, 2020, we began worshiping outside on Saturday mornings on the lawn at Resurrection Church. Us and the gnats and the mosquitoes enjoying the Lord's very warm sun together. On August 23rd, 2020, we moved back to Sunday evenings in the gym at Greer First Baptist, where we were worshiping for 106 Sundays. <coughs> Excuse me. On November 13th, 2021, the, Ridge, the, the renovations at Ridgewood officially began. Then August 1st, 2022, we changed our name to Ridgewood Church. September 11th, 2022, we had our first service here. And then finally today, October 2nd, at 10 a.m., we celebrate the Lord's grace in moving us onto this property. This timeline is only a small picture even of what we've gone through in the last eight years. That's to say nothing of our different office, office spaces, meeting in janitor's closets at Taylor's Mill for the first year, back in 2014, or community groups meeting at Panera and Stomping Grounds, or members meetings literally in my driveway in those early years, where one of our lay pastors injured himself playing spike ball. I'm sure you can guess which lay pastor that was. And personally for me, I mean, this move represents so much for my family. I have distinct memories of my nine-year-old son, around a year old, walking around Grace Hall as we were tearing down the properties, walking around Grace Hall with a microphone, pretending to lead worship and standing on the stage, pretending to sing. I have distinct sweet memories doing newcomer's lunch at my house where we would grab Bojangles boxes and we would sit in my living room and have football muted on TV as we got to know, you know new people that were coming to be a part of our body. So for me and for my family and for our church, this is a big deal. This is awesome. But listen, we have not arrived. This is not the finish line. In fact, what we want to do is completely change the metaphor. And we're going to look at John chapter 12, starting in verse 20, a passage that's been stuck with me now for a few years to reframe how we think about this move. John 12, starting in verse 20. I'm going to cough a little bit, so pardon me. John 12, starting in verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. This is the Passover feast. Many Greeks came, uh, who were God-fearing Greeks, came to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. Verse 21. So these Greeks came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. 
Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, the New Testament has four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John is unique in the Gospels in that John is very, very concerned with us seeing and believing Jesus. Each of the Gospels tells the same stories of Jesus, but every one of the Gospel writers has their own sort of emphasis that they're carrying throughout their book. And John wants us to see and believe in the glory of Christ. John 1.1 opens by telling us that Jesus was in the beginning, he was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then John 1.14 tells us that the Word becomes flesh. John wants us to see that Jesus is more than a teacher. He's more than a guy. He's even more than just the Messiah that the Jewish people were expecting. Jesus is the divine Son who has come to unveil to all peoples from all places the fullness of who God is. The first 11 chapters of John are full of these amazing stories of miracles, these pictures of Jesus being the light of the world that pushes back darkness. He's like Aslan. Wherever he goes, winter melts. Jesus is pushing back darkness everywhere. Uh, specifically, there's these seven stories that are often called the seven signs of John's gospel, where Jesus is just peeling back the layers to show the glory of, of God working through him. He gives us a peek. And things like turning water to wine, the, the healing at the pool of Bethsaida, varying miracles. The seventh of the signs is the raising of Lazarus. In chapter 11, just before this passage, just before John 12, in chapter 11, Jesus goes to the home of his sick friend. This friend has fallen ill, and the family calls for Jesus to come do something about Lazarus' sickness. As Jesus is making his way to the house to heal Lazarus, what happens? Lazarus dies. So Jesus arrives on the scene. He's grieved at the death of his friend, but he responds by breathing life back into Lazarus, by calling Lazarus out of the tomb and raising him from the dead. And actually, this becomes a bit of a turning point in the Gospel of John. So Jesus get, gains a ton of attention from doing something like this, right? You, you don't just raise people from the dead. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and it begins to attract attention, both good and bad. People take notice. This is actually a bit of a line in the sand and turning point in the book. This is the point in John's gospel when the religious leaders resolve that Jesus has to go. This is too much. Jesus must be put to death. In chapter 11, it says that this is it for them. Jesus thinks he can raise people from the dead. We've got to snuff this guy out. But he's also attracting good attention. This is what our passage highlights in verse 20. People were coming to celebrate the Passover feast. Greeks, they were God-fearing uh, Greeks who came into the Jewish region to celebrate Passover, and they have heard about Jesus. They're really impressed by what they hear about Jesus. They're compelled by him. They say, we want to go see Jesus. So they go to Philip. They say, we wish to see Jesus. Philip goes to Andrew. The two of them go to Jesus. Jesus, these guys want to see you. Then verse 23, this is what he says. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, Jesus says. You want to see me, Jesus says? You want to see who I really am and what I've come to do? Stick around because the time for the unveiling is here. You've gotten glimpses in these miracles. You've sort of pieced it together and you've seen little bits here and there. But what I've, what I've come to do is getting ready to be, be made really, really clear. The hour has come for me to be glorified, Jesus says. And then we have this kind of puzzling shift, this metaphor in verse 24. Look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. 
Now, I mentioned uh, that I have a, a little girl who's at home. Her name's Ruthie. A few months back, she came home from daycare with this little plastic cup full of dirt. It's just a little plastic cup full of dirt. And she was saying, we've got we to gotta water it, we've got to put it at the window. She's just absolutely thrilled by this little cup of dirt. I said, Ruthie, what, what is this little cup of dirt? She said, it's my grass. It's my grass. We made it at school. It's my grass. We've got to water it, we've got to put it in the window so we can watch my grass. Very excited about her grass. But do you remember when you were in school and you were learning about seeds? What did you, what did you learn about seeds? Do you remember the little cross section of the soil that they showed you? Remember the growth cycle of a seed? The soil cross-section charts in biology where you see how the, soil, the, the seed drops into the soil and then you see the side of the seed bursting open, undergoing a kind of violence, you might say. It dies, we might even say. It split opens, it sends down roots, and then we could say that the seed is reborn into something else. The seed gives way to roots, the roots give, gives way to a stalk. The stalk then grows strong and sturdy, eventually it produces fruit giving shade, and eventually grows more seed. Do you remember learning about that? Jesus is speaking to an agrarian society. He says, the time of my glorification is here. And you know what it's going to be like? It's going to be like when a grain of wheat or a seed falls into the ground. It splits open. It dies. But it gives way to new life. Jesus says, that is exactly what I've come to do. He says, like a grain of wheat, I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be broken. I'm going to undergo violence. I'm going to die and be buried. But like a seed, my death is going to give way to life. In a way, I'm going to be reborn. I'm going to come bursting forth back out of the ground with life and fruit in my wake. That's what Jesus says. And Jesus says, this is my glorification. You will see it soon, he tells his disciples. Have you ever wondered why Christians make so much of Jesus' death on the cross? Like, isn't there more to what Jesus did than just his death? Of course, I mean, the gospel writers tell us so much about Jesus. I mean, we have volumes of things that Jesus did and things he said. We have information about who he was and how he acted. But in all four gospels, all of them are intent on making a beeline here to Jesus' death. Jesus himself says that his death was his hour with the capital H. It is the moment of his glorification. His death is his glory. His death on a cross, something that was so shameful, ancient writers wouldn't even talk about it by name. Jesus says, this is my glory. Because on the cross, we see the fullness of God in Christ unveiled. More than what is evident in the turning the water to wine, more than is evident in the other miracles, more than is evident in the raising of Lazarus, on the cross, we see the sinner-loving, sin-forgiving, death-defeating, Satan-crushing, merciful shedding of Christ's blood for us. God's very heart is unveiled to us on the cross as one who is holy, 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 and just, and infinitely righteous, and kind, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And like a seed, Jesus' death gives way to life. He's murdered, he's buried, and on the third day, he is raised from the dead, like a seed bursting up out of the ground. And here's what's so amazing about this. The New Testament authors tell us repeatedly that Jesus' resurrection, this new life, this seed-bearing fruit is actually the first fruits. It is the foreshadowing, the prototype, 
the advanced copy of what God is going to do for all of his followers. And more than that, what God is going to do for everything when he renews all things and makes all sad things untrue. And so for Christians, we look at Jesus' death where he bears our sin on the cross and achieves forgiveness for us. And Jesus' resurrection, which is a promise of our resurrection and a promise of the world being set to rights. We look at this and we say, this is Jesus' glory. This is where we see the fullness of God's purposes, the fullness of God's glory. The dead and resurrected Jesus of Nazareth. Now, just as an aside, one of our core values we've said is that we want to be simple. We say we want to be simple, rooted, and personal as a church. There's a lot of things that we could be about, but when we say that we're simple, what we mean is that we want to have a kind of streamlined commitment, even an obsession with Jesus. Jesus is about Jesus. Jesus is about Jesus' glory. Jesus is about Jesus' death and resurrection, and we feel like that's pretty good company. And so we want to be about those things too. And so when we say we want to be simple, what we're saying is we want to be about Christ, period. We want to be a church that proclaims the gospel of Jesus, period. We want that to be our defining feature as a church. There's this preacher from London back in the 19th century, a guy called Charles Spurgeon. He's just this legendary, bearded, prolific author and preacher. He pastored at the Metropolitan Tabernacle for almost 40 years. And at his first sermon at the church, he said this, I would propose that the subject of the ministry of this house, as long as this platform shall stand, and as long as this house shall be frequented by worshipers, shall be the person of Jesus Christ. And I read that, and I think that's a pretty good word for us on our move-in celebration. That as long as this ministry is in this house, as long as this platform stands, as long as this house shall be frequented by worshipers, it's our hope that the center of that ministry would be Jesus, making him known. Be about Jesus' glory. But then watch this in verse 25. Jesus says that whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So after using this grain of, wheat, grain of wheat analogy to describe his glorification, he then turns to his disciples and says, this actually is the path of my followers as well. I enter into death in order to be welcomed back into new life. This actually is the path of my followers. He says, you must lose your life. You must likewise be buried. You must die in service to me. It says you serve Christ, you're going to be with Christ. You follow Christ, you follow him even to death. Where Jesus is, he says, there my servants will be also. Now this is the portion that really struck me over the last couple of years. Because what I think this means for us as Ridgewood, and as we think about this space, what I think this means for us is that the direction Jesus calls us to go is down. It's to be buried. And I'll speak for a moment to Ridgewood as a whole. This building is not the finish line, as we've said. Instead, let's think about these facilities as our soil. We were a church plant. Now we're planted. We've been moving from pot to pot in Greer for a bit, right? Greer Community Ministries to Grace Hall to Chandler Creek and Res, Greer First. But now we've got soil, a place to take root. So let's embed ourselves here to die here to be broken in this ground, to grow roots here, 
so that through our work and the Lord's work through us, we can then produce fruit, shade, and life. What if we saw the patch of dirt here as the soil that Jesus has given us to follow him into, to die here, to put down roots and bear fruit here? What would it look like for us to bury ourselves in this soil, to lose ourselves in service to Jesus here in these facilities? What kind of fruit could we produce here? Could we see people come to salvation for the very first time? People being welcomed into Christ's body for the first time. People finding life in Jesus for the first time through our willingness to serve him here. Could we see new churches being planted out of this church? Could God be calling some of us, some of you, to go start new churches elsewhere? Could we see missionaries being sent out from this body? What about normal church members that are sent out to go support and be Christians in foreign places with missionaries? What kind of fruit could come from decades-long commitment to things like the Good News Club and Good Neighbor Teams and Backyard Bible Clubs and RAs and GAs? What about just faithful, ordinary, well-lived lives here at Ridgewood? What could the Lord do with that? This is not the finish line. It's our soil. In my house, we have this print in our study, this this piece of art that we absolutely love. Uh, and the picture is this house kind of centered in the middle of the picture, and there's people kind of on the fringes of the house, and there's people kind of making their way out of the house. But out from the middle of the house is this oak tree, this oak tree just kind of growing up out of the house. And the suggestion of the imagery is that this household has become an oak tree where people are drawn in for tire swings and for apples and for shade and for joy in life. And Emily and I have said that we, we pray that that's the, the, the reality of our home, is that we're like an oak tree, that our kids and our neighbors and our church and our family can come up under that shade and enjoy it. And I pray that we would kind of have a long faithfulness that grows into something big, sturdy, vibrant, and beautiful here, like an oak tree just busting out of this ceiling, offering shade and warmth for whoever walks by. This is not the finish line for us. It's our soil. It's the place where we want to lose our lives in service to Jesus as a church family. And here's what this requires of us. One thing. This kind of thing is only possible through death. That's it. All Jesus is asking of us is our lives. One thing. A long faithfulness. A willingness to lose ourselves in service to him. For our church family, let's die here, figuratively and maybe literally. Let's baptize our families and our friends here. Let's have our kids' weddings here. Let's refuse to jump ship from here when things get difficult. Let's cry at each other's funerals here. I realize that everyone here is not a part of this church family, and I recognize that. And my word for you would be go and bed yourself there. Wherever your church home is, go and bed yourself there. Go practice long faithfulness there. But if you're a part of Ridgewood Church, I would just say, let's embrace this call together. Let's embrace this soil together. A quote that we had on our office wall for years was that the bedrock of fruitful gospel ministry is low-key, relational, and long-term. Let's have a low-key, relational, long-term faithfulness here. Let's push, push back against the tendency of the modern world to be super flighty. 
Like we all exist in these zero gravity non-spaces. Could we put our feet down together here and really give ourselves over to the people that God has entrusted to Ridgewood Church? Like a seed being buried, broken to bear fruit. Could we carve out a kind of counter-cultural depth here together? Long-term hospitality, bonfires, and pool parties. Where the Spirit teaches us to forgive, to bear burdens, to be tender-hearted towards each other as we go about making Christ known. Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like precious oil on the head running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls in the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. What if we embedded ourselves in the soil, put down roots together, good and pleasant, brothers and sisters, in unity, anointed and refreshed like the morning dew? Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Are you willing to be planted in this soil to do these Roman 12 things with a kind of long faithfulness, losing our lives in service to Jesus here? I came across this quote from the missionary, John Patton, who's a missionary in the South Pacific. He identified this trend more than 100 years ago to kind of have a flurry of short-term activity before moving to another place. He was a kind of a, a trendsetter in missions and sort of set the pace for how we think about modern missions. And even back then, he pushed against that tendency to move really fast from place to place. He said, rather, that our mission efforts should strive to establish itself, to root itself in the soil in the form of a local church. This is what he said. Plant down your forces in the heart of one tribe or race where the same language is spoken. Work solidly from that center, building up with patient teaching and lifelong care a church that will endure. The vision we have for Ridgewood is by the Spirit's work and the Lord's grace, let's build up with patient teaching and lifelong care a church that endures. And here's the last thing I'll say. Verse 26 of John 12. Jesus says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If you serve Jesus, you must follow Jesus. You must likewise die. But if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. We embrace this soil. We step in here ready to lose our lives in service to Jesus. And you know what awaits us? The words of our Father saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come yet again thanking you for the gift of these facilities. And we pray for a kind of vision and a kind of commitment to making you known here. We pray that your spirit would give us that simplicity, that holy obsession, the streamlined commitment to seeing Christ being celebrated here. We pray that we would lose our lives in the soil, that we would be buried here so that our work could produce fruit. I pray for the brothers and sisters who are present who are part of different churches. I pray those same blessings on those churches. and I pray that you would embed them there, that they would lose their lives in service to you, Lord God, so that you could use their work to bear much fruit. 
We thank you for bringing us together this morning. We thank you for the joy that it is to celebrate this, this, uh, this Sunday and this move, and we pray many blessings on our church family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.